The scripture lesson today comes from Jesus' little brother James, chapter 3, verse 13. Let's share in God's good word together. Here's what you do. Live well, live wisely, live humbly. It's the way you live, not the way you talk, that counts. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Have you ever met someone who was too proud to ask for advice, even though they desperately needed it? Ever known someone who was too proud to ask for directions? No poking your spouse. Ever see people who cling to their ways, even though those ways are hurting themselves and others? Have you ever been in a conversation only to be interrupted, to be told why their experience, their vacation, or their purchase was better? Ever poured out your heart to someone only to have them tell you their troubles are far worse. I bet you know people who brag about everything that they've acquired or achieved or experienced. Of course you do. What you might not know is if you are one of them. Are you one of those people that when you leave the room, others roll their eyes? How would you know? Do you know what we're talking about today? Pride. And pride comes before a fall and it comes to all of us. So why do we talk about pride every year before Easter? Because pride kills. Pride destroys many of the things we care about most. Pride kills empathy, stifles compassion, creates division, fosters jealousy, hardens hearts, and suffocates love right out of the room. Pride in many ways is the primary sin and comes to every single one of us. But don't worry, there's help today and there's hope today. So let's get started as we continue our sermon series Hold on to hope. Today we're overcoming pride. So as a way of introduction, we are in a sermon series called Holding on to Hope, Overcoming Life's Unexpected Challenges. And before we get to pride, I want to introduce sort of the theme of the entire series, and that is that our life, each and every one of our lives, is a gift from God. And who we become in this life is our gift back to God and to others, to this world. And so our gift, we didn't earn it, we didn't deserve it, we didn't buy it. It simply comes as a gift. And then what we do with that life is our gift back to God and the world. So in week one, we learned how to overcome cynicism. The more you know, the more you hurt. Do you know that's actually what the Bible says? It's something really hard to deal with as you get older. Um, the wisdom literature in Ecclesiastes says this in chapter one. Much learning earns you much trouble. The more you know, the more you hurt. And if you're not careful, you'll start guarding your heart from future hurt. Your heart will start to close and you'll become isolated and you can even get a hard heart. But there's good news, friends. Your past is not your future if Jesus is involved. Never forget, friends, we are Easter people. We are people of the resurrection. And when Jesus and his life and his love gets involved, anything is possible. So your past is not your future if Jesus is involved. In the second week, we looked at temptation. How do we overcome temptation? And this is what we do. We have to learn to put your character first. It's not selfish to become a better person. That's good for you. It's good for all of us. So put your character first and make your talk match your walk. And so a lot of people say you have to walk the talk. Well, let's reverse that. And you know what? If you simply tell the truth about what your life really is, you'll be amazed at how that elevates your walk. And so here's a simple way to say it. Simply refuse to lie. Just don't lie. And you'll be amazed that as you become a truth teller, 
your life will actually start to match your words. And then last week, Pastor Brandon did a great job of helping us look at overcoming disconnection. And he said this, loving our specific neighbors requires seeing them and spending time with them. And he even talked about if we can't really love the neighbors that we do see, we can't really claim that we love a God that we don't see. It's love God, love others. That's what we're about. And so with all of that as background, this week we're going to look at overcoming pride. It is that really center sin that all the other sort of problems come off of. But here's the problem. It's easy to spot pride in other people. That's the problem. We can see it real easily in other people, and, and we hate it when we see it, but we don't see it very well in us. So let's talk a little bit about, well, how would you know if you have a pride problem? Well, you may have a pride problem if, say this with me, you might have a pride problem if you need to be the center of attention, right? If, if, if your life is, hey, look at me, look at me, look at me, I mean, that can be kind of cute as a two-year-old and a three-year-old. It is not attractive um, at 33, 43, 53, 63, 73, right? It's something we're supposed to grow out of. And so if you need to be the center of attention, it's okay to be the center of attention every great once in a while. If somebody asks you, invites you up and says, hey, would you, you know, sing this song or play this music or do this thing, then that's great. But if you demand it, if, you, if, they, if you're not okay, if you're not that, then that's a problem. You, you might have a pride problem. You might have a pride problem if you interrupt people, right? That you're so concerned about setting people right or telling people what you think that it's somehow more important than what they're trying to share. You might have a pride problem. You might have a pride problem if you can't, you don't, or you won't celebrate the success of others. We want to be people who lift others up, that kind of push others out into the spotlight and say, you can do it, way to go, that was awesome. Look at what they've done, look at what we're doing together, look at that team, look at that accomplishment, way to go. Be a, a lifter and a lover of the world, of God's people. And, and when you see something beautiful, claim it and celebrate it publicly for others. You might have a pride problem if you think you are better than. We talk about this all the time here at Acts 2. It's okay to get better. Our expectation is that we want to get better. We want to be more like Christ. We want to be more loving. All the fruits of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, generosity, self-control, all these sorts of things. We want to get better, but we never want to fall into the trap of thinking that we're better than. That's where pride gets a foothold. Kerry Newhoff uh, says it like this. Pride will cost you friendships, intimacy, respect, lost opportunities, rest, peace of mind, wisdom, and even money. It's hard to imagine the stakes being much higher. Pride comes before a fall. When I graduated college, I thought I was a big deal. I mean, a big deal. So much so that my first job out of college uh, was in New York City. You know, the city that never sleeps. And I thought I was a big deal. I had a corporate apartment on the Upper East Side between first and second, and I was living the life. I had my own maid. Uh, I had my own Watts line to call Chantel back in Oklahoma uh, at no cost to me. I had a dry cleaning service. It was awesome. I thought I knew stuff. And you know what? 
I didn't know nearly as much as I thought. And I liked to run with other people that were really smart and knew stuff too. So one week I had a fraternity brother of mine come to New York City and he wanted to come by and uh, spend the day with me and I was thrilled. It was great to see somebody from back home. And so we went down to the street. And so it wasn't a, a beautiful skyline night like this. It was actually down uh, in a grittier part of town. It's where they had the shell game. You know the shell game where there's a ball and there's cups or shells and it goes back and forth and back and forth. And we watched and my friend, he just knew that he knew exactly what it was. And these suckers, oh my gosh, people were taken advantage of. And he was like, oh, look, that, no, I know what's going on. And so we saw one guy lose and we saw him lose again. We saw another lady lose and lose again. And we figured it out. I mean, we were so smart. And then my friend said, hey, Mark, I'm going to play. And I said, I don't, I don't know that that's a good idea. Like, this always turns out badly. I've, I've never played and I, I really, you know, my family just doesn't gamble this. That's not what we do, but I don't, we shouldn't do this. And he goes, no, 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 I'm, I'm going to win. I'm going to win. I'm going to win big. I figured it out. I've watched for 20 minutes and it's going to be big. So he said, I got $20. And the guy behind the table is like, well, I'm, I can't let you play unless you have $40. And he's like, but I only have $20. And then the guy and my friend looked at me and said, well, do you have $20? I was like, yeah, but I don't want to play. He's like, oh, I'll pay you back. You know, I'll, I'll pay you back. I was like, okay, so I gave him my $20. So now we're $40 in on this lock of a deal. And he played, knowing exactly what he would do and that he would win. And you know what? He lost. What he thought was going to happen didn't happen, and we both lost our money. He lost his 20 I lost my 20 And just at that moment, the cops came up, the police. They were breaking up this sham. And what do you know? The guy behind the table and all the players before us all ran off together. It was all a part of the same scam. They had played us little Oklahoma rookies like a violin. I don't think I ever got my 20 bucks back. But anyway, that's what pride does. It will take everything from you and it'll even harm your friends around you. You'll just get sucked into it. So. Learn from me. Don't let the pride get the best of you because it'll hurt you and it'll hurt those around you. The other thing that sometimes we miss is that pride can come right alongside insecurity. And we often think of those things as different, but actually insecurity drives pride. I want to show you some ways. Kerry Newoff says it like this. He says his therapist told him about comparagance. That's a great word, isn't it? Comparagance. When arrogance is born of comparison. Hey, you know how this goes. You're like, well, you know, I'm not perfect. I've got problems, but at least I'm not as bad off as some other people. I think of, you know, that family that makes a little less money than I do. Or, you know, the guy, I mean, we don't drive nice cars in my family. We never have. But I can always think of somebody who has a little worse car than I do. I have to think a long time, but I can think of it. That's not true now because the church has a company vehicle and it's awesome. But when I was growing up, we always drove beater cars. So you know what this is like. You say, well, you know, I'm a pretty good person or I don't gossip much. I mean, compared to, you know, so-and-so or I don't spend wildly. Well, certainly not as much as so-and-so. We don't take extravagant vacations. I'm good with our money or I'm, whatever it is. When we start comparing ourselves with people that we think are lesser than, oh, there it is. Pride. Because now we've placed ourselves better than to make ourselves feel better from our insecurity. 
The other thing is this, when your opinion of yourself rises and falls with performance, with your job performance, or what others say about you, that's actually a form of pride. Friends, it is so hard as a pastor when you have a bad Sunday, right? When, when your ego is so tied up into your average worship attendance. And so when, when clergy folks get together, one of the things they talk about is, well, how many did you have last Sunday? Well, how many did you have last Sunday? Well, what's your average worship attendance? And you know what? If my identity was completely wrapped up into worship attendance, I would be a little puddle of goo this pandemic, Right? because our numbers aren't anything what they were a year ago. You look at last year versus this year, it doesn't look anything the same during COVID, not at all. So we have to be really careful that we don't place our identity in what we do instead of who we are as a child of God. Tim Keller puts it like this. He says, when work is your identity, success goes to your head and failure goes to your heart. If you ever want to meet a depressed clergy Talk to them on a Monday morning after a low Sunday. You know, spring break Sunday, Sunday after Christmas, 4th of July, Memorial Day, Labor Day. I mean, you talk to any clergy on one of those days, fall break, oh my goodness. People will just be depressed if their identity is caught up in the numbers that are happening at church. Or maybe that's true for you too at your job. You make a big sale, you feel great. You fall on hard times, you feel like you're worthless. Friends, what you do and who you are are two separate things, really. There's a big difference between taking things seriously and taking things personally. There just is. So I'm not saying that, you know, actually accountability and, and you know, what your church, whether it's growing or not growing or whether your business is growing or not growing, though, are those things important? Sure, they are. And so we need to take our work seriously, but we don't need to take it personally, right? So in our relationships, we want to be serious about serious things, but what others do, we don't take that personally, but we can take it seriously. So again, it's really important that you see this and understand this and get this in your heart, that who we are and what we do are two separate things. Say that with me. Who we are and what we do are two separate things. And friends, particularly for pastors, this is hard. Most of you know me as Pastor Mark, right? But before I was Pastor Mark, I was just Mark or Marky Poo or, you know, whatever else it was that people called me as a kid, right? So you are not your job. I am not my job. You are a child of God. I'm a child of God. And we get to celebrate that. And there will be a season where we work, and that's an important season. But there will also be a season of education before we work. And there will also be a great season of rest and retirement after we work. So you are not your job. Who we are and what we do are two separate things. So the wise Thomas Merton says it like this. Pride makes us artificial and humility makes us real. And so all those things where we think, oh, we make a little more than we really do, or our kids are a little better behaved than they really are, or whatever it is, that's artificial. And that's pride, trying to help you stretch the truth, and it's just artificial. Humility is real, and that's who Jesus is. Jesus was real, 
uh, when he had empathy for those who were hurting. Jesus was real when he knelt in the garden and asked the Father for this cup to pass from him. It was hard on him. He didn't want to go to the cross. It wasn't a joy for him to have to sacrifice his life for us, but he did it in obedience. And it was his real authenticity that saves you and me by the power of the resurrection. So this is what we're learning today, that all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. You know who said that? Jesus. Jesus lived this out perfectly. All who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. Jesus trusted God perfectly, and God raised him up in the celebration that is Easter, the salvation of the entire world for all people for all time. And Jesus was serious about this. He taught about this all the time, about where you should sit um, and how you should be humble and why. So here's one of his parables. Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee. Uh, and if we were doing a melodrama, everybody would be like, yay, this is a great religious person that knows the law forwards and backwards. And the other, a tax collector. And everybody would say, boo, they work for Rome. That's a terrible person. Nothing good's going to come from a tax collector. That's what they would have expected uh, as a God-fearing religious Jewish person. The Pharisee, standing by himself, was praying thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Boo. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even look up to heaven, but was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says this, I tell you, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other for all who exalt themselves like that Pharisee will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. Well, how do you do this? What are those habits of the humble? Because only humility will get you out of what pride got you into. So humility really is the answer for the cancer of pride. So pride looks like this. I know best. Don't confuse me with the facts. I've got it. Don't bother me. I know best. That's pride. Humility, on the other hand, is God knows best. And again, we see this perfectly in Jesus uh, throughout his life. And here's the thing, friends. You have a choice. You can either choose humility or humiliation. It's your choice. But it's coming one way or the other. The wise choice is humility. Because you know what humiliation is? It's simply involuntary humility, right? Humiliation is involuntary humility. You, you got humbled. Somebody put you in your place. You were embarrassed in front of others. Your pride was hurt. Your ego was hurt. You had involuntary humility. That's humiliation, and nobody wants a part of that. And so Jesus actually teaches about this. He says, when, when Jesus noticed how the guests chose the places of honor, he told them a parable. He says, when you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, do not sit down at the place of honor. And pride says, oh, Jesus, you're not telling me what to do. I'll sit where I want to sit. He goes, no, no, really, don't sit in the place of honor. Well, why? Well, because in case someone more distinguished than you has been invited by your host, right? 
And the host who invited both of you may come and say to you, give this person your place. And then in disgrace, you would be humiliated in front of everybody. In disgrace, you would start to take the lowest place. You would have gotten in the wrong seat and publicly you would get moved down and put in your place. Jesus' laws and promises are for our good. He doesn't want you to be humiliated. He wants you to be loved and full of grace, right? So he, what Jesus does, he lives us out and he also calls it to us. He says, let God raise you up. Let God raise you up. So he continues the story. He says, so when you are invited, you go and sit down at the lowest place. And again, pride's going to say, I'm not sitting at the lowest place. Why would I do that? Well, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, come here, move up higher, sit by me. Then you will be honored. That's what Jesus is trying to help you do, to be blessed and honored and helped in this life and the next. Sit down at the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you for all who, oh, guess here it is again, exalt themselves, will be humbled, humiliated. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. They'll be lifted up and blessed. Another way to hold on to your humility is to never lose your gratitude. One trick that's been helpful to me is that every time somebody does anything even remotely nice for me, I try to force myself to say thank you. So if you're at a meal and somebody fills up your water glass, say thank you. Somebody brings you a piece of bread, say thank you. If they give you salt and pepper, say thank you. If you are served a meal in your home, say thank you. If somebody takes out the trash, say thank you. If they feed the dog, say thank you. If they do something nice for you, say thank you. If they make the bed, say thank you. If they wash your clothes, say thank you. You get the point. Say thank you. And I do want to thank each and every one of you who make this ministry possible. Thank you. And the more thankful we are, it changes our hearts and our minds. The other thing is this. Pride shuts down conversation and humility learns from anyone, anytime, anywhere. When you get to be my age, you know that there's a lot of technical things that go on that I need to go to younger people to learn. All sorts of things. Uh, on our staff, I always try to hire younger people so I can learn from them. They know lots of things that I don't know. Um, and so I have to learn from them. I want to learn from them. I learn from my children. Uh, one day I hope to learn from my grandchildren and I love to learn from the kids of the church. It's so fun to stop by the youth group or stop by and, and visit with some kids or uh, when other people are around here on the property, I get to visit with them and I get to learn something new each and every time I meet someone. So again, Jesus' little brother James, he says this, here's what you do. Live well, live wisely, live, say it with me, humbly. That's how you live well and live wisely. It's the way you live, not the way you talk that counts. Mean-spirited ambition isn't wisdom. Boasting that you are wise isn't wisdom. Twisting the truth to make yourself sound wise isn't wisdom. It's the furthest thing from wisdom, in fact. It's animal cunning, devilish conniving. Whenever you're trying to look better than, there's that concept again, better than. If you're trying to do that, look better than others or get the better of others, things fall apart. Friends, know this. This is the truth of the universe. When you try to be better than, things fall fall apart. That's what Jesus, little brother James says, and he learned it straight from his brother. And everyone ends up at the other's throats. That's where conflict and war comes from. Real wisdom, God's wisdom, begins with a holy life. 
and is characterized by getting along with others. Our life, our witness as a church is to get along with folks, both in the church and outside the church. We are to be a winsome witness that is lovely to the world. It is gentle and reasonable, overflowing with mercy and blessings, not hot one day and cold the next, not two-faced. You can develop a healthy, robust community that lives right with God and enjoy its results only if you do the hard work of getting along with each other. And sometimes it can really be hard work, but we're to get along with each other. Say this with me, treating each other with dignity and honor. That's who we are to be. And again, Terry Newoff says it like this. He says, of all the lies we tell, the ones we tell ourselves are the deadliest. Unconfessed and unaddressed, they will continue to damage the people around us and us indefinitely. Level with yourself and with God. The prayer of confession is a beautiful thing. When we can actually say to God, and oftentimes we need to say it to someone else, this is the real me and I'm struggling with this. I need help. I'm seeing pride pop up in my life. I'm seeing judgment pop up in my life. I'm seeing hard-heartedness come into my life. I want to show you a beautiful photo. It's a photo of a beautiful flower known as a dandelion. A dandelion is a weed, friends. And here's the thing you need to know. Pride is a dandelion in the lawn of humility. Pride is a dandelion in the lawn of humility. You leave it unaddressed, unconfessed, you know what's going to happen. You're going to wake up the next morning and that's going to be your lawn. That's just the way pride works. It gets a tiny little foothold and then it just takes over. So we have to ruthlessly and ridiculously root pride out of our life or we are going to be in a weedy mess. So how do we do this? Our action steps are these. Very simple. Simply hold the door for others to go in front of you and stay behind them in line. Maybe you've done this at a restaurant where you held the door and people went in and then somehow you're like, oh, I need to get back up with my party. And all the niceness that you did, you have just undone as you walk through everybody that you just let in front of you. So if you want to be humble, you can't be in a hurry. Open the door for others. Let them go. Wait your turn. Say thank you. Be grateful for a good meal out with friends. It's a beautiful thing. Another thing you might try is to express your thankfulness every day to others and to God. To remember that your life is a gift and to say thank you over and over and over again. Thank you, God, for my family. Thank you for my breath. Thank you for my health. Thank you for my church. Thank you for my small group. Thank you for my friends. Thank you for my parents. Thank you for my siblings. Thank you for my children. Thank you for my dog. Thank you for my neighborhood. Thank you to God and to others. And then I hope you'll celebrate someone else, uh, their success this week publicly. Celebrate someone else's success publicly this week. Lift them up, celebrate them, because this is what humility does, and it is lovely and beautiful. And then finally, really, get ridiculously honest with God and yourself about where pride is trying to get into your life and just ruthlessly root it out. Get that dandelion before it's a big old mess. We're searching for humility long before it ever becomes humiliation because you don't want that and God doesn't want that for you. You want a life of peace.
and of help and of joy and of community. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.